now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Y'all act like y'all are excited to be here today on a rainy Sunday morning. Only thing that a preacher hates worse than a rainy Sunday morning is a snowy Sunday morning. So those of you that were praying for snow this weekend, I'm glad you were not right with God. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. So I'm trying to heap some shame on you just a little bit this morning, just a little bit, because we're going to talk about winning the shame game. Anybody in a battle of, with shame? I think we all go through this. Sometimes it's a lot heavier than it is in other times in our life, but it starts out very, very young with us. You did something wrong and somebody looked at you and they said this, shame on you, right? You've heard those words. You kind of felt those words, how heavy they were, kind of buried your head down, depending on who said it, had different levels. You know, somebody looking at you and seeing something that you did wrong or something they were not proud of and they said, shame on you. Maybe you went through a phase where it was like, shame on me. I did something wrong and I'm ashamed of myself and I'm just living in this cesspool of shame. And we get, to, we get in this cycle of shame and we just kind of get there and we just waller in it. I tried it out in the first service. My mama used to add the R to the end of that word, waller in it. Anybody else waller in something? Yeah, that's what we used to do. We, you'd waller in your shame, and that's what you get into. But if you start looking around and you start asking people, because, listen, I started out with this. I had two weeks that I was kind of wanting to figure out what I was going to preach on. I lay my calendar out pretty well, you know, a couple months in advance, and had a couple of weeks. And I was like, I'm really not sure what I want to plug in there, what I want to talk about uh, in those two weeks leading up to our transformation conference. And then, as I was working through that message last week and, you know, that series, Man, it was just like, God was just saying, man, we just need to talk about shame for a couple of weeks. And so I started digging into it, and I realized that this could have been a six-week series. I could have laid this out. So what I'm going to do in the next two weeks, and I'm giving you six weeks worth of sermons in two weeks, okay? So get your pencil out, get your cameras out, whatever. You saw, y'all take pictures of the notes. That's great, too. But what is shame? Because there's a lot of opinions around this. What is shame? If I were to ask you, a lot of people would quickly go to the word guilt, we would say, well, shame is guilt. Or you would say, shame is when you're embarrassed about something. It's this embarrassment. Or a deeper level of that would be like humiliation. And we start to feel those emotions and we, we wonder, what is shame? And it's a little bit more than that. And there's some good definitions out there, but there's a guy on YouTube and he really does a lot of work around shame and guilt and, and other things. And you ought to follow him. His name is Mark De Jesus. It's Mark De Jesus, if you wonder how to spell it. And here's what he says shame is. He says it's a painful sense of humiliation, a painful sense of embarrassment or self-condemnation that will lead you to see yourself and your experiences with great disapproval and disdain. So it's this painful sense of humiliation or embarrassment, and, and really humiliation, what he's talking about there is humiliation begins to affect your identity. You start to associate with this shame and this humiliation with who you are as a person. It's a deeper feeling than embarrassment. It's, it goes beyond that. And what happens is we get down here and this self-condemnation begins to fuel our shame. 
Because of something someone said to us or something someone did to us, we start to fuel our shame by self-condemnation. And you do this thing, and I just learned this word recently, you lay on your bed at night worrying about this self-condemnation, and it's called renumeration. Saul introduced me to that word, and I really like it. It's you renumerate over things, so you're, you're, you're running it through your mind over and over and over and over and over. Am I the only person that does that with their head on the pillow at night? I think a lot of us do, you, you cycle through things and you go through this self-condemnation and, and it's just, that's, it internalizes all of this and it fuels the shame that you feel. And what that does is it leads you to see yourself and your experiences with great disapproval and with disdain or this feeling of unworthiness. That I'm not worthy of a person. I'm not worthy of receiving a person's love and care. And, and, and it's affected Every one of your relationships, you've been in and out of relationship over and over and over because of this, this feeling of disdain toward yourself, this self-condemnation, this unworthy feeling. And a little bit simpler definition that I came across is this. Shame is the all-consuming condition that we have let ourselves down, let others down, and let God down. It's this all-consuming self-condemnation or this all-consuming condition that we've let ourselves, others, and ultimately God down. And what happens with shame, the more you sit in your shame, we're gonna call it the cesspool of shame today, the longer you sit in it, it begins to take over and it begins to cause you to identify yourself in your shame because ultimately shame is not just an emotion you feel, it turns into an identity that you begin to wear. So no longer did you make a mistake or no longer am, I, I had a failure, I become a failure. I am a failure. I am unlovable. I am always at fault. It's always me, me. And you take on the identity of I am this rather than I did this. And most of the shame that we experience is, in fact, self-imposed. It's self-imposed by our behavior and our thought process. Sure, somebody did something to you and it caused you to feel shame. We'll talk about that a little bit here in just a few moments. Yes, that happens. But a lot of our shame that we deal with, it's self-imposed. It's self-imposed by our behavior and by our thought process. We think, I haven't achieved this. I didn't do well at this. Maybe you feel shame because of the way uh, your children turned out, or maybe the way your marriage turned out, or something that you failed to be able to good, be good at it at work, or, in, at a, or at a job, or maybe in sports, or whatever. It's by something that we didn't achieve, and we begin to have this self-imposed Shame, And what happens is we begin to turn that over and over and over in our mind. We remunerate on that over and over and over. And let me just tell you, social media is a shame machine. Amen? Some of us feel that way. The others of you are the ones putting it on us. No, we feel it. it. Social media is a shame-generating machine. And the longer you scroll through everybody else's highlight reel and everything that they're doing great and how perfect their family is and how perfect their job is and all of their accomplishments, the more you start to go, I'm just not quite all that. 
And we start to impose this self-inflicted shame upon ourselves. And then others impose shame on you because they, the things that they've done to you and they'll say, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. And they've done something to you and you feel the shame. Maybe it was parents that you just never could measure up to their expectation. And it was constantly, I'm just ashamed of you or, or you felt that from them, whether they ever said the words or not. And you've carried that with you a dad that never gave you the affirmation that you needed, and you've carried that with you, and you just wallow in your shame. And let me just tell you, shame and guilt are not the same thing. We, we often associate those two with, as, as, as equals or synonymous terms, but guilt and shame are not the same. And we're gonna talk about the differences in those and what we ought to do about those. Because here's the thing, guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. It's identity. This is identity. Shame is identity. Guilt says this, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Where guilt is an activity, shame is an identity. You may do something wrong and you feel guilty about that, and that's okay. That's okay. We sin, we feel guilty. What we do with the guilt determines the outcome of the situation. Here's what we ought to do. When we feel the sin, or when we commit the sin, we feel the guilt, and we ought to lead, as we talked about last week, it should lead to confession or repentance. Should lead to, 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 to something that we send that to God. We send that guilt to God and go, look God, I know I've sinned against you, and here's what it was, and I confess that to you. I repent of my sin. But what we do is we take the guilt and we let it go to shame. And we live in this, I put that green for a reason, it's a cesspool. And we just get there and we just wallow in it. We just sit there and we just sit in our shame. And eventually, we might even get comfortable with it to the point where it begins to come on and, and take on our identity. And we walk around moping and moping and moping and we kind of have taken on the shame that we feel and we, we say, well, this is just who I am, and there's no getting out of it. But that's not what God intended for you. God intended for you to take that shame and confess, confess your guilt and get out of the shame as quickly as possible because it's not always a matter of just going from guilt to confession. It's oftentimes we feel the shame and we get there, we just can't stay in the shame. And that's where we are. We get here and we just, we just sit there. And in our shame, we will tend to do a couple of things. We will deny, we'll deny that we're in shame. We'll deny that there's anything wrong. We'll look around and we'll blame it on everything else. And so we'll, we'll deny everything or, or we'll do the other. We'll drown in it and you just live in shame. And you get into this cycle of depression and anxiety and all of these things and we just, we just carry this shame around with us and it's doing damage to us, and it's doing damage to the people around us that love us and want to love us deeper, and you won't let them because you are drowning in your shame. And you gotta come out of it. And we live in this, but that is not what God wants for you. God wants something better than you living with and in your shame. Because listen, originally, shame was not a part of God's game. Let's look at Genesis chapter two, verse 25, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
The first man and woman, and the man said to his wife, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, right on cue, I knew Tom was gonna say something. He likes that verse. That's his favorite verse in all the Bible. And if you were here Friday night, you'll know why. Because we had married people night out. And we almost let Tom go as far as he wanted to go with that, but we reeled him in. We held him back. We held back the stallion a little bit, okay? It was a really good night. But this is the way God originally planned things. And you see this in life. People walking around naked and unashamed. But it's not adults, we hope. But your four-year-old, come on. You take them out of the bathtub, you dry them off, you set them down, and what do they do? They drop the towel and they streak through the house, buck naked, running everywhere, and you're just like, stop, let me get some clothes on you. They've got no shame in their game. They're just running around, letting everybody see everything they got, and there's no shame. And this is the way it was originally in the garden. They were both naked, and they were not ashamed. But sin crept in, and it messed it all up. Shame crept in, and they began to live in that shame, and they began to do something with that shame, and that's what we wanna look at today. Before we dive into that, as I was doing my studying, I listened to some preachers talk about shame. I, listened, I read some counseling books on shame. I watched some YouTube videos on shame and obviously read what the word of God says about shame. And I found out from some counseling books that there are some types of shame. And you might be able to identify with some of this more than others, but there's a psychological shame that many of us have. And what this is, it's a perceived lack of significance or value. It's, it's something that we do to ourselves. It's concerned with how others view me. And so I walk around and I look around and I go, I wonder how they see me. I wonder, and we live in this shame. It's kind of like the number one tee box at the golf course when there's people watching that you don't know. I wonder what they think about me. I wonder what they'll think about my golf swing. Ladies, you, you deal with that. You walk into to, to places and the way that you're dressed or whatever, you start to go, ah, I wonder how they perceive me. I wonder how they see me. And we start to feel that shame. It happens in the gym all the time when people watch me work out. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's what happens with Tom when he's in there flexing in the mirrors all the time, you know? But, but, <laughs> but guilt is more concerned with how I've affected others. Shame is more affected with, with how others view me and how others see me. And it could come from things that you've done or it could come from things that people have done to you. And it is a psychological shame that we deal with. And in the garden, here's how it looked. It was this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. This was after they had sinned and they, they you know, knew that they were naked and all. Saw the, uh, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God and among the trees of the garden. You know why? They were ashamed. They were ashamed of their nakedness at this point. This psychological shame was this fear of this disconnection. It's this, this fear that we're unlovable, that we don't belong and we need to hide ourselves. We drown in our shame. And it makes us want to run and hide and, and causes us to feel isolated or invisible from those around us. And this can be true of personal sin that we've committed. It's a psychological shame that we feel that we have going on 
in here. And it's self-imposed and sometimes it's made up and it's, it's overkill many times in our minds. But the second kind is a social the social shame that we feel. We all have this as well. We, we walk around and it's measured by social expectations. What are people expecting of me? Am I living up to whatever their expectation is, whether it's the culture that we live in, the family that you live in, the circle of influence that you have, and we have shame that is associated with that group around us or our culture. It's what happened to us, that, that this is exactly what Satan did to Eve in the Bible, here's what Genesis chapter three says. But the serpent, or Satan, said to the woman, you will not surely die. After God had told him, eat of the tree of, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And Satan comes along and says, listen, you're not gonna surely die, okay? He was the minister of shame, and he's not stopped ministering shame to people. He started it in the garden, and he goes on, and he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. You're going to have this enlightening moment, and you are going to feel and see like you've never seen and things that you've never felt before. And so Satan was imposing this, this social shame. You should be ashamed because you have such limited sight. You should be ashamed of yourself because you're so narrow in your view. You should be ashamed because you don't, and you just fill in the blank with whatever the social shame is that we could feel. You know, we're guilty of this in Christian circles as well. You know, one church judges another church because they do something different. They don't play the same kind of music or they, they let people wear whatever they wanna wear in church. You know, those kinds of things. And, and, and you get this, so, this, this Christian social shame that goes on. I'll tell you an example, a few years ago, when I was a youth pastor here at Charity, there was a young man who had gotten out of church. He'd gotten out of church for, for quite some time. And I think this was on a Sunday night, if I remember correctly, we were sitting in here and all of a sudden, this boy walks through those doors right there. And he walks up and he sits down about six rows in. And he's walking in, when he walked in, I was so excited to see him, I was so glad to see him because I know he had been out of church. And before I could get to him, one of our Faithful deacons at the time, who's not here any longer, walked up to the boy who was wearing a beanie on his head. Boy hadn't been in church for a long time. And this deacon walks up to him and imposes his Christian social shame on him. And he says, we don't wear those in the house of God. And that boy in that moment felt a level of shame. I could see it on, in his body language. And I quickly made myself over there as quickly as possible after this deacon left, and I said something to him. I said, man, it's good to see you tonight. I'm so glad you're here. I can't remember if he stayed for the service or not, but I know that it wasn't too long after, after that, I attended his funeral from an overdose. Because somebody had taken a Christian social standard that was not God's standard and imposed it on someone else and caused them to feel a level of shame. And we gotta be careful about that. We have to be careful about imposing some level of social standard on other people that causes them to feel shame. So you got the social or the cultural, and then finally you've got the sacred. This is similar to social, except this is determined by, in, in that it's determined by an outside standard, but this standard is God. We have this, this standard that against God's character. Sacred shame is not necessarily 
a bad shame, but you don't stay in that shame. And I'll explain that here in just a moment. This is more what we need to do is have sacred guilt, not sacred shame. Because God even didn't intend for you to stay in sacred shame. But this is going against God's standard. God's got a standard of holiness and a standard of righteousness that we are striving toward, that we're striving toward in our behavior, but we can't allow that to be shame. And here's what happened, here's what Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 4.14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. He said, listen, there are some things that I'm addressing in the church of Corinth, some immoralities, some things that's going on, but my purpose is not to make you feel ashamed of yourself, My purpose is for you to get out of it. He says, but to admonish you or to correct you as my beloved children. I don't want you to stay in your shame. I just want to correct you so that you will confess that and get out of that and and get out of that sin, not to live in a shameful life, in a shameful position toward God. So when it comes to this social, this psychological, and this, this sacred shame that we feel, how do we cope with it? What do we do? Well, we have some unhealthy coping mechanisms. One of the ways that we deal, that, deal with that is we play the fame game. We play the fame game. We want to make sure other people look at our lives and think we've got it all together. When on the inside, we're just really full of shame and we're just playing the, the fame game. Here's how it looked in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. And so what happened? They partook of it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. This was influenced by their psychological shame. They didn't wanna be a failure. They wanted to appear like they knew some stuff, like they had it all together. And what we do is we overcompensate for our shame or our insecurities by seeking fame. Listen, this is why some people do multiple hundreds of social media posts and everything just looks perfect. Many times they're trying to compensate for some shame in their life and they want you and me, or maybe it's us that does it on occasion, we just wanna look good to those who are looking at our life. We wanna look like we've got it all together. It's the seeking of fame. It's seeking something that's going to cover our shame. I want to be valued. I want people to look at me and want to be like me. The next thing that we do is we play the the lame game when it comes to shame. This is influenced by culture, the cultural shame. We try to cover our shame. What did Adam and Eve do? They covered their nakedness. They covered their nakedness and they started making loincloths. Here's what it says. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I don't know how that all played out, other than maybe, you know, they go and they find a fig tree of all trees. Have you ever touched the leaf of a fig tree? I have. Down in Louisiana where I grew up, we had fig trees, a lot of them. There was one in our yard when I was just a kid. And I remember the fig leaf was not the softest leaf there was. They were big, but they weren't soft. And so they, they, they sewed this, these fig leaves together and make a loincloth. And can you imagine what that was like? God would just look at them and go, There's something different about you. And they're playing this lame game trying to cover it up and it just doesn't work with God. And it also doesn't work with a lot of people around us. We try to cover up our nakedness and and, and God God won't notice that, that we're playing this lame game. We're trying to cover things up and we're overcompensating for this shame that we feel. And it just doesn't go over 
very well. And the final one that we play, we play the blame game. We're really good at this one because what we do is we, we blame our shame on everybody else. It's influenced by the sacred shame to some degree. We say, it's not my fault. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we certainly are that. But sometimes we use that phrase as a way to just play this lame game of blame. We just blame everything else. On, we blame our shame and our sin on everything around us. It's everybody else's fault. He did this to me. She did this to me. It's my parents' fault. It's, it's whatever. And you just play the blame game. Here's what happens in the garden. He said, this is God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is God playing parent, just like you, like we talked about last week, wanting them to confess. He already knew what they had done. It's like you knew what your kids were doing and you just want them to confess. So have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? God already knew the answer. He just wanted a confession. So the man begins his confession. He says, you know what, God? The woman. It's the woman's fault. The woman that you gave to be with me. Listen, one day I was just minding my own business, God, and I fell asleep. And all of a sudden, I woke up and there's a naked woman next to me. And this is what it's led to. God, it's your fault. And she gave it to me. She gave me the fruit. He's starting to blame the woman. He's starting to blame God. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I, I ate it. I'm just a victim of my circumstances. I'm just a victim of the cultural pressures around me. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he's the one who deceived me and I ate it. You know, the serpent, the one you put in the garden, God, it's really ultimate. So really, whenever it comes to shame and blame, ultimately, you know what we're doing? We're blaming God. God, the reason I do this, it's all your fault. And that's what Adam did, and that's what Eve did. And so we play this, this cycle. We, we get into the, the fame game. We wanna, we wanna make things appear better than they are. We play this lame game of trying to cover things up in our own way. And then we play the blame game. And we get in this unhealthy cycle of just always covering our shame and dealing with it in any way that we could. But the way that we ought to deal with it is we deal with, we deal with the, the fame game through humility. We come to a place where you go, you know what? I'm really not all that. I'm really not as great as I want everybody to think I am. And I'm not going to seek to overcompensate my, for my shame through fame, through people wanting to have my life, through people wanting what I have and trying to impose that upon others and overcompensating for it. Another thing that we gotta do is we gotta be vulnerable. And you, over, you, you compensate for the lame game of trying to cover things up by just being, just be vulnerable to people. Just be vulnerable where you can be vulnerable. And that's defe that defeats that lame game of trying to cover things up. And we need to lay our shame and we need to lay our guilt out before God. God, I am a sinner and I have broken your law. This is what I've done against you. This is how I've sinned against you. But we become vulnerable to God, but we should be vul become vulnerable to other people as well. This is why we're such a proponent, proponents around here of small groups. You need to be in a small group that you can be vulnerable with and just lay it out for them and say, listen, I've had a rotten week. I did something I'm not proud of. I did something that I've actually become ashamed of and let them lift you up out of the mire and out of the cesspool of shame. 
That's why we also, when people come to us and they're dealing with a deep, deep level of shame, we'll send them to a counselor because we believe counselors help you get out of that shame. There's nothing wrong with good Christian counseling. Make sure they're Christian though. Let's go to Christian counselors that get us out of the shame and point us to Jesus Christ, the one who heals that. We'll talk about in a minute. But the final thing, how do we deal with it? We need to take responsibility. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. You've got to take responsibility for the shame that you sit in. Yes, you got there because somebody did something to you, but you have a decision to make of whether, you're, whether or not you will stay there because that's not God's intention for you. So you've got to take responsibility for the guilt and for the shame that you find yourself living in because ultimately, God defeats shame. Ultimately, God defeated shame, and here's what he did. God is the one who's defeated shame. Ultimately, here's what he did in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. I want you to get a picture here. Adam and Eve go out. They try to cover their shame in their own limited ways. They made for themselves loincloths of fig leaves. And God says, listen, I know you've committed sin. I know you've got some guilt for that, but I don't want you to stay in your shame. And what God does is he goes out and he makes the very first sacrifice. And he takes a little lamb or a little goat and sacrifices this animal for them to cover their shame. And God made the first set of clothing that would cover their shame. They had hidden themselves from God because they were naked and they were ashamed. But God says, I understand you've sinned against me. Don't stay in your shame. Let me cover that through a sacrifice. And then we get over to the New Testament and you and I walking around in all of our shame, sitting in our shame, the cesspool of shame that God does not want you to live in. And the author of Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, joy on the other side of the cross, he endured the cross because there was some joy on the other side. And that joy, despising the shame or defeating the shame or covering the shame is what the writer's saying there, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me just tell you this. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, the instrument of shame, he took your shame upon himself. As he was hanging there naked in front of a crowd on Golgotha, your shame and my shame was placed upon him. He became the sacrifice for your shame. You don't have to walk around any shamed any longer. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when you do something wrong as a child of God, when you commit sin and you confess that sin, Jesus steps in and goes, God, listen, I've already covered that one. I've already clothed that one. 
I've clothed them. Here's how the writer Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So when God looks down at you and you are feeling so ashamed of yourself and you are in the cesspool of shame, God looks down upon you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And he doesn't see you as shameful. He's not ashamed of you. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as clothed in righteousness. So when it comes to sin and you feel guilt and maybe you slip into shame, don't stay there. Quickly confess your sin before God and let his, let his covering of righteousness be there for you. Because Satan's game is shame. Shame is the game of Satan. And if he can keep you in a shameful, in a shameful spot, you're not gonna be effective. We're gonna talk about that next week. But if, if Satan can win this game in your mind and in your heart, he has got you right where he wants you. So don't stay there. Because the cross was God's instrument of deliverance from shame. On the cross, he bore your sin and your shame. So you don't have to stay there. You can walk confidently before God, unashamed. Don't let other people impose their shame upon you either. Stand confidently in the righteousness that Christ has robed you in as his child. Today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to step out of your shame and step into his forgiveness. We'd love to help you do that. You can meet us down front. There'll be some guys down here to do that. Or you can meet us back in the guest VIP room as soon as this service is over. But don't let another day go by without confessing your sin before God and letting him help you to come out of the shame. Christians, don't live in your shame. It's under the blood. Your sins are forgiven. Now you need to step out of the shame and allow yourself to forgive yourself and to win in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for providing the answering or providing the answer and the covering for our shame through Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is for all those who are in the building or watching online who are dealing with shame and slipping into the, the game that Satan wants us to slip into. God, I pray today that you will help us to be delivered from that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the covering of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. amen.